Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today I'm joined by uh, someone I really admire in, in the industry, uh, S. Barahini. Um, I love reading your stuff, listening uh, to you know your podcasts, um, and just everything you do. So uh, you're an, an amazing writer, amazing basketball um, pundit, and and just it's incredible to to have you on once again. And uh, thank you, man. Thanks so much for for doing this. Yeah, thank you, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, yeah, thank you for having me on as always. Good to good to chat and talk hoops and whatnot. Uh, I know you've been, you know, you've been kind of climbing the ranks over the last couple of months as well, especially on the hockey front, which is really cool to see. Uh, keep at it, my guy. It's uh it's a tough industry, as they yes. say. But yeah, yes. keep keep cracking, my guy. Keep cracking. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And uh yeah, very I uh I do miss, I will say for for everyone, I do miss my basketball stuff. Uh, I'm I'm pretty much in the weeds for for hockey, but I, I do my best yeah. to watch almost every Raptors game and I think I listen to 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 and read your work and a lot of zach Lowe, a lot maybe too much bill simmons but uh <laughs> yeah that's 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 kind of my life but i want to ask you a little bit before we we get started and i'll ask you some hard-hitting questions but um how do you kind of approach like watching game film and 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 um taking notes during games because i i, I look at the clips you make after games and it's just so like that must be a lot of work. Just kind of take us behind the scenes of yeah, of yeah. kind of what a typical game day and looking at watching the game is like for you. Yeah. Um. So game day is usually I have like a whole setup here that you obviously can't see because you're you're on the opposite side of it. But uh, I have a whole setup here that helps me, you know, record. I have a nice monitor here on the other side where I watch the game. I'll be recording live and kind of clipping and posting and whatnot. And, um, you know, honestly, I don't take notes. I don't take much notes during the game. Um, my notes are my timeline. So, like, I use the timeline as my notes, so to speak. So I'll be, mm. like, throwing stuff in there. I'll be tweeting stuff. I'll be, like, retweeting stuff that I think will be useful later on. Uh, and so I kind of have that as my notes for the game. Uh, and it's sort of like an open diary notebook, if you will, of like what my thoughts are throughout the game. And then afterwards, I have all the clips here that I kind of go through, examine what things I want to talk about specifically, recap the game, talk about the the whole whatnot, and then look up the post-game stuff afterwards to see if there are any good sound bites to throw in there. So that's the that's the gist of it. It's like two and a half hours for the game, and then about two to three hours for afterwards just kind of like sifting through the game footage and pulling photo pulling like video stuff and then you know editing it all together so and obviously performing it too so yeah yeah, yeah. and then with that when you are making a video for for you know social media or or for a channel like how, how do you like how much of that editing like how do you just walk us through it because i think that yeah. people might not like see oh it's 10 minutes and oh that that must be quite easy and uh, <laughs> i i don't think that's the case so uh maybe yeah. describe a little bit just what you look for in terms of making a video that you think people will enjoy uh, i think when you're initially thinking of the type of content or whatever that you want to make it's all about structure um and the first the first time i ever want to do a video it takes me hours to make because i'm focusing on structure i'm focusing on like okay how am i going to make this and then you build out a skeleton for yourself that you use throughout the rest of it. So now I have this sort of workflow that I go through, which is like, okay, I'm going to hop on Zoom. I'm going to record my little recap piece. I know where I'm punching in and out in terms of the sound bites. 
Uh, and then afterwards, I already have the clips on my timeline that I want to talk about. I sort of just play them as I'm recording and talk about the clips. Uh, maybe I'll slow down the clips just to give myself a little bit more time, but I usually slow down the clips afterwards, piece them together, do a little bit of an explainer, and then just go from there um, and record it. And yeah, it is it is an extensive process. A lot of people have mentioned it, that it is a lot of work to do every single game, but I really wanted to do something that was unique and it was mm -hmm. different because it, it it's I want I, my goal is to always stand out. Um, and I think my the intention was to do something that could blend the TV style reporting that you see on television from your like main TV yeah. broadcast and incorporate the podcast style recap type things that people enjoy into one online platform and kind of push it that way. So yeah, that that's the that's the work behind it, man. Uh, I, I know a bunch of fans will want to ask about uh, how you started uh, doing your post game hits uh, yeah. at Raptors games outside the I guess it's Scotiabank uh, Arena. Just talk about how that came to be and and what that <laughs> all your experiences, just any anything from that that uh, stands out. Maybe yeah, what made you start, and then uh, maybe a couple of cool stories that you have for experiences. Yeah, look, I mean, I I tell anybody who wants to listen, the advice I have is like, if you want to go do something in this industry, you have to just go out and do it. And nothing is better than the reps that you can make for yourself. Um, and so I wanted to have these reps. Obviously, I've done sideline reporting before. I did it for the CBL. I've done reporting at school before. I, like, I, I have experience being on camera, being on a mic and, and sort of doing those type of stand-ups. And I knew that I was good at those type of things. And so I was like, how, how can I make that into what I want to do? And also, how can I show a potential employer down the road that like, hey, I can do these type of things for you. Um, and so my goal was to do something like that uh, and go outside and record these videos and then be able to come back home and edit it all together and piecemeal it in, in a way that is, you know, the, the recaps that you guys see. Uh, it's been an interesting experience to say the least because you're outside, right outside of the arena. I have my my light attached to my car <laughs> via, oh my God. Cigarette, via cigarette lighter, and so you see the the light coming, you know, to kind of work with me, and then the car is is there waiting and whatnot. It's a it's an interesting process. If you were to catch me, shout out to Savannah Hamilton. Savannah, she caught mm -hmm. me doing it one time, and I'm like, oh hey, hi, how you doing? <laughs> and you know, it was awkward setup with the light and the car door open and everything, but. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting to say the least to do that. It's a lot a fun experience. Obviously, I can't do it right now because of the weather. It's just insane to do. Yeah. But once we get a little bit better, hopefully, I'll get up, get back out there. You need like two uh, Canada Goose sweaters, like on top of each other, or something, <laughs> something along that yeah. those lines. It does get to, cold, bro. To, to keep you warm. Uh, obviously, you've this year you've transitioned a bit more to more Raptors coverage just but you also do a lot of nba stuff as well like how do you manage to hone in on one team while knowing like the rest of the league uh just how do you do that uh watching a lot of basketball bro <laughs> a lot of, <laughs> watching a lot of basketball uh my morning routine is you know even if i i probably will pick one or two games to watch in it in their entirety uh and shout out to nba league pass they have this great hour long or 45 minute long version of the game mm. which is just all the possessions packed together even the misses even the turnovers all that oh. stuff so it's a 45 minute version that i can get through i usually pick two games from the night before that aren't raptors games i'll watch those 
and then sort of recap, watch the 10 minute highlights of the rest one, rest of them, just so I can keep in mind, listen to a lot of podcasts, read a lot of work from my colleagues. That's the way I keep up to date with the NBA. And obviously I'm just, I'm a fan, right? So I'm always kind of mm-hmm. focusing in on stuff like that. So yeah. How, how do you get yourself to, to watch a D- D- Detroit Charlotte Monday night game? Like Man, how, how do you, I love those games. I yeah. love them. Yeah. Sometimes they're a lot of fun. Cause you can see the wrinkles of like, I don't know, Isaiah Livers doing something mm-hmm. or and then Thompson or Asar Thompson or Jalen Duran or whoever. Like you you have these like little interesting favorite players that you start to pick out throughout the league and you like to follow their journeys and then, you know, that's that's the way you do it. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. Bryce McGowan's on the on the Charlotte there, Hornets, man. Come there on. you go. What what a legend. Uh and and with that, I know you've told me a little bit off air just how much uh just for you um like just not being someone that knows the game of basketball is like always something that's maybe a bit intimidating. I know myself yeah. like covering the team in Jakarta and I'm with Blake Murphy or other people talking and I'm like, Oh, my hoops knowledge is way different. Like how do you try to have almost a basketball brain when you, when you watch these games, like what do you look for? How do you try to explain it to people that might not understand what a Spain pick and roll is or something along those lines? Yeah. Uh, first of all, I, I deal with a lot of imposter syndrome when it comes to that. Um, just because there's always going to be someone that knows more than you, that is more knowledgeable than you that I mean, and like, you know, you, especially when like I've been in rooms with coaches now and scouts and players and those guys know more basketball than I could ever remember. Right. Uh, and I think that intimidates me a little bit. Mm. Um, it's something that I'm working on. It's something that I'm trying to grow because I have to have confidence in my ability to talk basketball and know basketball. Um, but I also, you have to have an openness to understand that you don't know everything, uh, mm-hmm. and that it's this learning process that you're constantly going through all the time. I, if someone were to throw me into hockey right now, and, <laughs> yeah, and like, yeah the- you know, ask me to learn about it, I could give you bare bones knowledge, but it'll take a while for me to get to the point where I can talk about different, you know, schematic things or mm-hmm. things that, they, whatever I, even to, to the casual fan, like I still don't understand the strategy behind some of the hockey stuff at all. Like to me, it just seems like people throwing the puck back and forth. Right. But yeah. there is clearly a strategy to it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you, you kind of, you have to break it down into the context of that. If you're trying to explain it to someone, it's like, all right, People know what picks are, people know what shots are, people know what floaters are, people know these like bare bones concepts for basketball. How can we stack these together to show you, hey, there's this cool play the Raptors are running that you can mm-hmm. see. And yeah, I guess that's it. And how has it been? Because I know you've been more around the team and, and around the NBA and have, uh, I was listening to you and it's, it sounds like you have a couple sources as well. Like. You don't have. I'm not asking you to tell me uh, that uh, what Masai Ujiri's phone number is, but and uh, in, in truly, like, how do how have you been able to build those relationships? And maybe what advice would you have to to journalists trying to to get in the game and, and get to to get to know people within the the NBA world? Arrive to games early is my uh, tip. Get there very early, uh, and there's mm-hmm. going to be it's just going to be you in the gym, and uh, in those moments, there's time to talk to assistant coaches there's time to talk to players there's times to talk to you know executives and uh media people and whatnot and those those are the times where i felt like i've gotten the most to be able to discuss with people and talk with people and whatnot so get to get to games early uh is is my (laughs) is my opinion to people who are trying to get into the sports media world uh and the other thing i I would say is like you just gotta 
like these things these things kind of happen uh being, being mm -hmm. open to communication is i i guess something that i would say you always have to have in sports media and also just trusting that you have something that you can contribute so going into any conversation knowing that you can also bring value you can bring worth i think that's important in considering mm -hmm. you know any kind of com communication if you will have you had a starstruck moment where you've been around a player or a coach not you don't have to say what you talk what you talked about with that player but just uh, any moment that sticks out for you no, yeah, uh, you know, I, I, the Kelly Olynyk piece that I recently did for Raptors yeah. Republic, uh, I shout out to Jazz PR. They were very, very kind with me. They allowed me to go into the Jazz locker room post game, cool. and that was my first time being in a locker room post game. And, nice. Uh, you're kind of it's it's kind of crazy because all these like t large dudes and towels, and you're just kind of like, okay, I don't want to bother you while you're changing. You know, like it's yeah. kind of awkward to go ahead and do that. Uh, and so I didn't know how to navigate. And I kind of just was like, I'm just going to gain the the nads to go and talk to Lowry Markinen because I'm very curious about Lowry in general and his career and whatnot. And so he had both of his feet in the ice buckets kind of cooling down. He was chilling. He was all on his phone. And I was kind of just like, hey, Lowry, what's going on, pal? And I wasn't starstruck. I wouldn't say I was starstruck, but I was just intimidated by the situation yeah. of being in the locker room initially. And to be honest with you, I think I handled myself pretty well. I think I did not not too bad. Raptors teams, PR teams who are listening to this, I did a good job. Let me into more locker rooms. I can handle myself professionally. So, yes. Yeah, it was fun. Well, it sounds way better than, uh, than uh, my experience where I've had one experience where I went up to a player and I said their name and they they uh, he said, no, that's not my name. It's pronounced this way. I'm like, oh, that's not good. And then I've asked <laughs> everyone else about this player's name and I have still heard that it's the name that I said in it when I introduced myself. So I don't know uh, what happened there, but I've, I've had, uh, thankfully, uh, you know, they're all very good, but I, I, I'm, I'm yeah. glad that your experience seems to be much more cleaner and, and maybe a bit more uh, finesse than, than mine. Right. But uh, I want to go obviously to, to the Raptors um, obviously huge trade that, that happened and you've been talking about it extensively um, just what what have you seen in this team now with RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly and and they're scoring like gangbusters? Just what have you seen differently than the team before with with OG and Ananobi? I think the thing that initially pops out is more functionality. So they just they make more sense uh, as a unit. They have so much more versatility. They're a lot more dynamic in the way that they can approach things. You mentioned the the scoring in bunches and yeah, they're they're a great offensive team. I think. Adding a guy like quickly, a guard who can attack downhill, really, really fast player, shoot the ball obviously really well. It's added a level of dynamism to their bench units. It's added a level of dynamism to their staggering transitional lineups. Uh, and the same thing with RJ Barrett, Canadian, right? Um, coming off a really, really great summer for Canada. Uh, had a really good start for the Knicks this season, but then sort of fell and fluttered and whatnot. And now he's he's feeling really, really good back home. I mean, the confidence, finishing, his ability to create his own shot, get downhill, make plays. In the fact that the Raptors have added two more playmakers, it's really helped invigorate the offense because guys are moving the ball. You know, the, the shots are flying. They're able to create more advantages. And guys like Scotty and Pascal are making teams play pay as well. So it's it's been really fun to watch. They're a really good offensive group. Curious to see how they kind of maneuver and see what happens next. But it's been really good so far.
Um, so we have on behind the player our very own Woj right now. Uh, but uh, with with maybe your Siakam stuff, just what have you been hearing on on that front in terms of if he's going to get traded? What do you think? Is it going to be a uh, quickly RJ package where it's more for the now in a player package rather than maybe picks? Like, what are you just hearing with that? Can he resign? Anything you're yeah, I, look, I, I think the main thing, and sorry, Darko Ryakovic just got fined 25K, so I'm posting that. But, go for um, it. I can take the way if you want. I mean, what I've... You... Yeah, go go. go no, yeah, I, I don't understand. I know you talked about a little bit that uh, just to make the money work, if you sign Siakam to a, a big, you know, max type contract, probably not for, you know, the the most amount of money that he can make, but just with the new CBA, it's going to be tough to... to Keep quickly, RJ. Obviously, Scotty Barnes is going to get a rookie max extension in a year from now. Uh, at the same time, I just don't. He's been so good. This team's like I, I don't know. It, it seems to work as you you meant. Uh, you talked about how it feels much more functional uh, with the added playmaking uh, and really just they're a better team. As it feels like, even though they've lost the past two games, they easily could be two and zero if they had a you know a bit better injury luck. So. Um, yeah, just on, on that front, like, why do you think they're not going to try to extend him or or that that might not be the likeliest outcome? I think it's just money wise. It becomes really hard. And I don't think the Raptors are prepared to sign him to a full four year max, which is what Siakam wants. If they were prepared to do that, this deal would have gotten done months ago and he would be a long term Raptor. I just don't think there's a level of interest from them to extend him for that type of money. And I think from uh, Siakam's perspective, that's really the main kicker here. He wants to get that type of money. And so he can't get that if he's traded elsewhere right now. They, the max they can do is sign him to a two-year max extension. In the summer, if he were to renegotiate his deal, yes, he can get a four-year max with any any team he gets traded to. But for the most part, I, I just think it's going to be difficult for the Raptors and, and Pascal to come to a conclusion where they're like, hey, we're going to give you the max money. Um, mm-hmm. Especially, like you said, given the contractual implications that they have with IQ, with RJ, with Scotty, money is going to get really tight. And unless they find a very, very quick solution to maybe trading Jakob Pertle, maybe trading Dennis Schroeder, trading Boucher, that's what it's going to take to keep a guy like Pascal Siakam. Uh, and so, yeah, that's uh, it's unfortunate because you would hope that this team could stay together. It seems like they are building a lot of chemistry, but also... Uh, it, it doesn't seem feasible for them to go out and keep a guy like Pascal right now. Again, things could be changed. It's really fluid. But for the most part, I just don't see the Raptors and Pascal coming to terms on a full max agreement. And and does that mean that the team that he goes to, you know, there's a wink, wink. Uh, let's say he goes to Golden State and it's like, okay, well, you, we can't sign you now, but you will get a contract on July 1st. Is yeah. I've also heard just reading your stuff, listening to you, that you know he doesn't seem to be very much uh, in the mood or maybe in in a, a state of mind to necessarily say yes to another team wherever he gets traded. Yeah, I think that's the issue that the Raptors are coming across right now in trading a guy like Pascal because they he's not giving that commitment to other teams. Otherwise, he would have been traded to Atlanta by now, or he would yeah. have been traded to Indiana by now, or he would have been traded to Golden State by now, but or even Sacramento, but he's not giving that clear indication to teams that he is willing to resign. And I'm not sure if other teams are also willing to resign him at that four year max. If you think about the Kings situation, they already have DeMontis Sabonis who they just extended. They have De'Aaron Fox who they just extended. They obviously will have to extend Keegan Murray in a couple of years. And so when you look at the money adding up, 
adding another four-year max player to that roster becomes less feasible. Golden State is in a position where they're already at the second apron. They're already paying so much money that maybe it's okay for them to go and just add another guy in there if it increases their championship, you know, uh, window, if you will. Uh, So, yeah, I I, I just think that's the big issue when it comes to trading Siakam. It's finding a suitor, finding teams that, one, are willing to take that risk, and if Siakam is willing to reciprocate that love and and sign an extension with them. I'm sure you've thought about this a lot, but do you think the Raptors go for like an, a quickly RJ type package or more for, for picks when they, uh, it seems like do trade Siakam. Yeah, I think it'll be players. Uh, I, I think the Raptors, I mean, just given where they're at, right. They, they're, I, I mean, this is not, it is sourced, but it also isn't sourced. Uh, the Raptors have no interest in tanking. They have no interest in rebuilding and gutting the roster and becoming like a bottom five team in the NBA. And even if they did trade Siakam, given how bad the bottom five or six this year is, it's pretty tough for them to get there. Um, And so I don't think they have any interest in that. I think they want to stay as competitive as possible. I think they want to find a way to kind of uh, piggyback off of Scotty Barnes's ascendance and go into another direction with this new team. Hopefully IQ takes a few steps over the next couple of years. Hopefully RJ builds into a more consistent player. And now you're looking at a team that could maybe potentially one day be a good playoff team. So I think they're looking to add players to that, not picks. I don't think they want to add more. I mean, they will add more young guys to the roster naturally, but I don't think they're going to go actively find a three pick, a four pick type of thing. I think they would prefer players. That's why you see guys like Keegan Murray mentioned and Jalen Johnson and Yekka Kongu and, and, you know, even Jonathan Kaminga. I think they're looking for young players that they can add to this core so that they can build together. And obviously outside of maybe the the trades this season, people will always think about just, the Scotty Barnes leap and obviously his shooting has been phenomenal really compared to to his first two seasons do you think that's the crux of his success or what have you seen maybe maybe looking more in depth into his play this season that's really allowed him to elevate to the place he is right now what's great about Scotty is that he hasn't necessarily seen an increase in usage an increase in minutes or anything like that his role for the most part, I, I mean, he is getting the ball more often and he is getting more touches, but for the most part, his role, like his responsibilities haven't changed too much because there is still a Pascal on the roster. There are still other players on the roster that demand attention in Schroeder, in IQ, in RJ. And so he's still been able to excel. The three-point shooting obviously is a huge factor here. He went from like a career 30% shooter to a 37, 38% shooter. It's a massive leap. It's a staggering leap. If he keeps this up, it'll be one of the best three-point shooting leaps by a player in a while. Um, and I think ultimately that's the biggest factor offensively for what's changed. Uh, the playmaking has improved. The pick and roll craft is, has improved as well. But the defense is what really has has popped off the page. His activity as a heat help defender, weak side defender, blocking shots, getting steals, using his arms to get in passing line, lanes. All of that is... Um, is really special uh and it shows his two-way versatility it also shows that even when the shot isn't falling he's finding other ways to impact the game so he's looking like a an all-star this year hope hopefully he makes it doesn't seem like he's gonna get voted on no but, yeah he's yeah. not on the top 10 but yeah I, I saw that uh and with that just quickly um yeah. no pun intended uh is do you think scotty barnes is a long-term a center like, where do you see him on defense specifically just because he's been so good on the weak side and, and helping, uh, but still needs to prove a little bit on, on ball as a defender. Just where do you see that for him? 
I just I think the Raptors need to find a way to maximize him more on that end, and that will come with relying on a guy like quickly more often on defense, finding more perimeter defenders. Obviously, without OG Ananobi, Scotty is being tasked with with being the primary defender on some of these superstar players. I don't think that necessarily is the best place for him. You even look at a guy like Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is a defensive player of the year winner, right? He wasn't an on-ball defender winning that defensive player of the year. He was more of an off-ball, weak side rim protector, guy who could block shots, etc. Like, that was what Giannis was as a defensive player of the year type player. I think Scotty can get to that level defensively if he's maximized and put into that role. But you do need players around him that make sense. Uh, I assume that's what the Raptors are trying to figure out here with the Pascal trade, with IQ and RJ being involved as well. What have you liked so much so far with with IQ or Emmanuel quickly for people that don't know his nickname? But uh, so far, just what does he add to to this team? I think, you know, IQ, obviously the Raptors lost Fred Van Vliet last year. They lost their only pull-up shooting threat. That's the main thing that IQ brings. It's it's an ability to, um, with the ball in your hands, pull up and take a shot and make it. And he's incredible at that 43% pull-up shooter before he came to Toronto. I'm not sure what the number is now. Uh, but he was really, really elite at pulling up and, and you know, making his shots. Great pick and roll player. The Raptors don't run a ton of pick and roll because they were missing those type of players. And he's also elite off of the ball, too. So he's he's quick. He's bursty. He can zoom around a screen, catch the ball and let it fly. He's able to zoom around a screen, get into his floater bag as well. Just an elite offensive player, both on and off the ball. And I'm really excited to see how he grows with this group, especially with Scotty, obviously, because their their games mesh so well as this guy who can both play on the ball and off the ball. It just seems like it's a perfect fit. And obviously, uh, Darko Ryakovich, we were actually both on the same global story. I don't know if you noticed that uh, nice. uh, yesterday on, on Darko's rant. Just what what have you seen from him being around the team a little bit and, and what he's brought to the team and maybe a little bit, how would you maybe evaluate his X's and O's so far this season? I think people have been very, very hard on Darko Ryakovich, and uh, I think people forget that he is a rookie coach, and he needs to figure out his own things. He will make mistakes. He will miss rotations. He will be rigid. He will not know when to be flexible, and I think those are all the things a rookie head coach, first time being a head coach in his career, uh, that's going to be a hurdle for him, you know, um, and he, he had to get used to that, but I think there's no question through the little rant that he had yesterday through the way that he's invigorated the locker room, that he has gained the trust of his players. And also now with guys like RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly, he's been given the players that actually fit the style he wants to play. So it's no longer square peg round hole. It's a match. They play well together. The thing is the thing makes sense that, like I said earlier, there's a functionality to the way that they play and it's allowing Darko to play the way that they coach the way that he wants to. So it's been a great fit. I, I'm sort of excited to see how he grows, you know, in the coming mm-hmm. years too, because there is definitely room for him to grow as well. Where, where would you say the biggest room for him to grow is? I think just the rigidness is my opinion. I, I, he's very, at least initially before the trade, he was very, very stuck in, this is my rotation. I'm not moving away from it. This is, you know, Pascal Siakam is going to check out for the start of the fourth quarter. He's not going to check back into the game until five minutes or even four minutes left in the fourth quarter. And sometimes you have to be more fluid with it, given the game. Uh, that was something that, you know, Nick Nurse excelled at is like the fluidity change stop on a dime. They're very different coaches, clearly. Um, but I, I think that's probably an aspect where I want him to improve is like being more open-minded to changing things. Now, to be fair, 
when I went to the game, I think against Cleveland, someone asked him about that. And he's like, look, I'm open-minded. Like I want to change. I want to grow. And so if he has that mindset, if he has that approach, I think it's the right way to move forward and hopefully he'll grow. And uh, obviously Masai and Bobby have been uh, overseeing this team for a long time. And now it seems as though the fan base might be slightly turning on them. Uh, But I think after the the RJ and and quickly traded, it's maybe softened a little bit the pressure on them. But how would you maybe... They bought themselves some goodwill. They bought themselves some goodwill. Yeah, yeah. Especially RJ playing the way he has been uh, to to start his Raptors career. But how would you really evaluate those two as as the management core? And um, are you a bit worried about where this team, the direction of this team going forward? I would say I am not worried because you have the silver lining of Scotty Barnes and now Emmanuel quickly. Uh, And so it's really hard to mess up that when those players are developing the way that they do. I think ultimately um, the question I will have moving forward with this team is how they're going to win around the margins. For a very long time, the Raptors were a team that nailed second round picks, nailed undrafted signings, nailed trades, all that stuff. And you know, over the last four or five years, they've sort of been behind the eight ball when it comes to those type of things. How are they going to be able to do that? How are they going to improve that? Um, and I think that's probably where I would where I would start when it comes to the Messiah and Bobby stuff. And for the rest of the season, like, should the goal be to to make the play in? Would that be a successful season? What, Man, what... It's not even the goal. It's the mandate. Like th- th- there is there is no way that they the rap MLSE and, and, you know, ownership and all that will allow this Raptors team to bottom out. They do not want that to happen. Uh, And, you know, a lot of that has to do with the renovations that they're doing to Scotiabank Arena, $350 million worth of renovations. Um, A lot of that has to do with the potential sale of MLSE and, you know, the CEO is changing and all that stuff. There's a lot of moving parts business-wise to MLSE right now. And so I don't think they want that, uh, that complete change, you know, because... When a team goes into a rebuild, team interest dies, fans start stop coming, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think they want that loss in revenue. I think the Raptors would rather stay competitive as possible. So yes, play-in is the goal. Playoff is the goal. We'll see if they can do it. They have a pretty big hurdle to come across here, but who knows? Do you think that's the right approach? I would say <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's an interesting thought process to have. Um, conventional wisdom would say bottom out you're you're no longer a good team get as much young talented prospects as possible with a guy like scotty barnes and emmanuel quickly and reset but also the other side is scotty is already becoming really good like he's gonna get a rookie max extension he's 22 years old in a couple of years maybe three or four years he'll be in his prime and so you want to be ready to compete when he's when he gets to that level um how does that look for a team that is supposed to bottom out and how are you able to manufacture that quickly? There are some good examples. Memphis, you know, they bottomed out for a year, got John Morant, and then they're back. You know, OKC, they bottomed out for a couple of years, got Chet Holmgren and J-Dub, and, you know, they're back with SGA as an MVP-type player. So there are v- worlds that it works, but there's also the version of the Pistons. There's also the version of the Magic. There's also the version of version version of the, the, a- the Spurs and whatnot. And... There are bad examples. There are good examples. I think it just goes depending on what you believe in Scotty Barnes, what you believe mm-hmm. in, in Emmanuel quickly, how good you think they'll be and how soon you think they'll be that good. Um, yeah, that's that's part of the discussion here. 
my last Raptors question. How good do you think Scotty Barnes can be? Uh, I mean, he's an all-star level player right now. If the shooting sticks, if he's able to become, you know, a 38, 39, 40% shooter, it's going to be really tough to guard him. His points per game totals will skyrocket. His ability to get to the line, I think, will improve and, you know, drawing contact and whatnot. So I would say he could, he could become like a, like a top 15, top 10 type player in the league if this, you know, tracks the way it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, before I let you go, I have, I have, I have some Canada basketball uh, questions for you, but I just sure. want to ask a little bit about the NBA because you do cover um, the whole league as well. Just right now, who would be uh, your your finals pick? Ooh, uh, I, I actually, the, the other day, someone asked me this. I would say Boston and Denver is, is my pick. Uh, I think the Nuggets get back to the finals. Yeah, it's a safe pick. It is a safe pick. I agree with you. Uh, Denver just gets back to the finals. I think there are a lot of good teams in the Western Conference, but a lot of them are also flawed, and Denver is probably the least flawed in that scenario. They have the most experience. They can get there. So I think it'll be Denver. And then in Boston, I mean, in the Eastern Conference, there's going to be a lot of tough teams that they'll face, and I think Boston ha- has its own flaws, but I just trust them more than anybody else to get to that point. So, Boston, Denver. Uh, are you with me? And uh, you know, my MVP pick is Shea, and maybe I'm I'm just a little biased, just a little <laughs> yeah, bit. But look, we both are. We both yeah. are. And I I I did like a Bleacher Report stream today earlier today, cool. and they were like, "Hey, what do you think your MVP vote is?" And I said Shea. Like I. I, I'm like, look, man, I'm not going to lie to you. I can understand the arguments for Joel. I can understand the arguments for Jokic. They're putting up ridiculous numbers and cra- crazy advanced stats. But Shea is almost right there with them. 36-6, and six, great efficiency, near the top of the league in steals. He's improved as a defender. Obviously, the Thunder are winning in bunches too, and they're second in the Western Conference. I, I think if there were any year you could give it to a guy like SGA, it would be this year. But... Who knows, man? Jokic and Embiid are just different animals. So narrative. I would say SGA, but you know, I, I like his narrative just because Jokic and uh, Embiid have been winning every single MVP for the past uh, three, four years. So uh, yeah, it, yeah. It, it makes sense, and uh, his like he he's literally having the best season of his career too. It's not just that he's stayed the same as he was last year, more efficient, shooting the three ball better too. So um, okay, so. Now I have a couple of fun uh, Canada basketball questions. Uh, the first cool. one that I've been asking people in, in the basketball sphere is, uh, who is the best Canadian basketball player of all time? Is it Steve Nash or SGA? And it's in the context of playing for Canada. So I, I won't say, obviously, Steve Nash had a longer career than Shea has so far. So yeah. it's not in that so, context. So just just Team Canada. Yes. I would say uh, that's tough. That is tough because, you know, a medalist versus an Olympian and Shea probably will become both an Olympian and a medalist in the summer. Um, I, I, I would say right now it's Steve Nash in like six months time. It'll be SGA. Yeah, that's that's a really good answer. I think that's my answer, too. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think once Shea probably goes to the Olympics, dominates, Canada might win a medal. Yeah. Gonna be hard to to say no to that. Um, so obviously you've you, you I'll ask you a bit about the Kelly Olenek piece at, just at the end, but um who would be your twelve players that you'd send to, to Paris for Canada? And I, I'll I'll presume that the seven guys that may, went to, to Indonesia and to, to the Philippines are there in terms of Lou Dort, Shea, uh Dylan Brooks, Kelly Olenek, uh Dwight Powell, 
Did I said Lou Dort, RJ Barrett, yeah, and then Nikhil Alexander-Walker. There you go. And then you yeah. can even add Jamal Murray too, because I think if he wants to play, he'll be there. So you have four yeah. guys at the end who who kind of fills out your roster. Oh, man. Uh, I would like to get some size in there. So I think I would like to see Zach Eady. Um, I, wow. I, I would I would give the nod to Zach. He's been great in college. Mm-hmm. You obviously need some size to deal with the Jokic, even to just take some fouls against a guy like Jokic would be would be nice so give me some zach ed um and then the the next three uh, uh i would like to see andrew nembard in there as a point guard kind of creator type that works oh we forgot dylan brooks did you mention dylan brooks? yeah I, did, I said dylan brooks in the, in yeah the eight? yes yes okay yes. you did okay okay yeah um yeah andrew nembard in there i think andrew makes a lot of sense as like a backup point guard guy who can you know kind of keep the bench afloat for the most part great defensive player as well um i kind of want to give the the nod to melvin Ejim just because like he was such a massive part of this summer from what they were saying like great locker room guy yeah. was keeping guys motivated he was such a huge part i think it makes sense to give him the nod and then for the final spot, pick a young Canadian guard, whoever the hell you want in there that you want to throw in there, whether it be Shaden Sharp or Ben Matherin or Andrew Wiggins. I, I don't know. I, I think. Oh, well, yeah, I, I was going to ask because that's in, in my bas- Canada basketball sphere. The, the whole thing is what do you do with Wiggins? I think it's the Golden State problem, too, right now. Yeah. But what, what do you like? Do you think if he's just playing this way, there's no I. Like, would you invite him know. to camp and then try to cut, like, see if he's playing better or engaged? What, what do you do there? I, I don't know. I, uh, that's a great question. I have no idea how to approach that situation because he was also not one of the people who committed, right? So there's a world in which you can just be like, hey, we're going with the people who committed for this three year program. We're going to keep moving that way and we'll go from there. Um, but I, I don't know if he does say he wants to play and he's like one of the biggest names on there. How much opportunity are you going to give him? Does he start over RJ or Dylan? I don't think he does. And then you're saying you have to come off the bench. Is he down for that? I don't think he is. And so it might get messy. You know what I mean? So yeah. I, don't, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's going to be interesting because do they go super team route or do they go obviously barring injury or Jamal? Like I, I, I for me as a Canada basketball fan, I think I'm cheering for Denver and OKC to lose early just so that they play for for canada but obviously yeah, yeah. Uh, i want them to if they win the the chip I, i'm happy for them but uh yeah no for sure that is gonna be a big conundrum and um you know i've heard about some of the nba players that were at camp when i obviously met you in toronto that were leonard miller right leonard, leonard miller, miller who's been yeah, great yeah. in the g league uh yeah. and and kind of fits a need too um but yeah it's gonna be interesting uh okay uh obviously you wrote about kelly olenic uh just today anything you want to touch upon that that piece and and how it came together and, and just maybe his importance to the the men's team uh he is the ultimate teammate from everybody you ask uh i had the chance to talk to will hardy i obviously told you about lowry marketing talking to him talked to omer yurtsevin who's fellow countryman but um yeah i got the chance to talk to a lot of cool players uh some coaches just get perspective from even rowan barrett uh he has been the ultimate teammate and the ultimate Canadian player uh, in terms of what Canada basketball is supposed to embody in terms of being unselfish, in terms of commitment. Uh, it's great 
honestly, he is like one of the flagship foundational, whatever you want to call it, whatever verbiage you want to use to define it. But he has been so sedimentary, so, so incredibly important to what this team is. Um, and yeah, I mean, shout out to Kelly Olenek. You can re read my piece at, at Raptors of Public. We talked about how he's the ultimate teammate, how he wears multiple hats, 500 of them. But uh, yeah, crazy. I yeah, and then you said he sold. He he left five hundred in Miami. Was or yeah, he, he sold. He I think he said he sold or donated five hundred to my to someone in Miami, and now he only has two hundred left. Where it's like two hundred. I have five. You know, yeah, I he, have he, five hats. He's know? the the PJ Tucker of of hats. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, thanks so much, S, for for doing this. I always appreciate you coming on, and uh, you're doing amazing work, and uh, love. Follow me on Twitter. I feel like I watched the game vicariously through you. So uh, <laughs> thanks again for doing this. Anyways, just give you the floor. Anything you want to plug in, in specific? Yeah, no. Uh, thank you. Thank you as always for for having me on, my guy. I really appreciate it. Um, you can find my work at Just S. Barahini on Twitter. I do some writing for Raptors stuff on Forbes. I do some writing uh, for Raptors Republic. Uh, and yeah, you'll be seeing me around. You'll be seeing me around. Well, I hope to to see you uh, this summer. Maybe uh, catch some uh, Canada, maybe USA friendlies this summer. Yeah, which yeah. might be in the ether. And uh, thanks again for doing this. And uh, uh, best of luck. Thank you. Appreciate it.